Hey guys, it is an honor, a joy, and a great pleasure to be able to connect with you on a weekly basis, to listen, to learn, and to grow. My mission is to help you break free from the old, those old mindsets, mental constructs, paradigms, strongholds, whatever it is, whatever's keeping you from your fullest potential, whatever's keeping you from that point B in your life that you have envisioned with great expectation. Let me tell you, you're not here by coincidence. (laughs) This is not an accident. You are here because this is part of a master plan. It's a what I like to call a God incidence. (laughs) And I hope and pray that after you've listened to today's episode, that you will have more clarity, a greater direction for your life. As you already know, if you're a returning listener or a subscriber, I love to incorporate psychology, biology, theology, and spirituality into each and every one of the episodes. If you are a subscriber, I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for your following. I truly count it an honor, and uh, and I know that you have so many choices to pick from as far as podcasts are concerned, and the fact that you've chosen Recalibrate really fills my heart with great joy. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. If this is your very first time, I hope that you get more than you expect. Would you take a few minutes at the end of this episode to rate this podcast, of course, with five stars, (laughs) of course, and would you leave us some feedback? Your feedback always helps us. It helps us to grow and to stay focused. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to talk about Psalms 23 today. How many of you know Psalm 23? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. All right. You know, I am a, I, I, I love, I love a good oration. I, I love orators and I love watching people speak and I watch competitions and I have been competing in oration since I was about 15 years old. Everyone told me growing up, all my teachers said, Milton, you're going to get in trouble. You talk too much. You need to quiet it down. But God had a different plan. But it wasn't until I was 15 years old when a teacher, he said, you know what? I want to take you to the next speech meet, the next speech competition. And he trained me and he got me ready. And I became very passionate. So since I was a kid, nine years of age, 10 years of age, I've been reading Dale Carnegie and Zig Ziglar and Augmandino, you know, the art of winning people and the art of, you know, a good uh, oration. And, uh, And I remember a story about a speech meet or a speech competition. And so there were, there, people were coming from all different walks of life and they would go up and stand behind a podium and they would recite a poem or a story or a scripture. And so at that point, uh, the next competitor came up and he was a young man. He was looking really good and he was wearing a, a fine uh, Italian suit and a nice silk uh, tie and he was very well manicured, looked really good and he stood behind the, the podium and he recited Psalm 23. I can't tell you, but I mean, the, the, the people, they had these great big smiles and they applauded him as he finished, you know, Psalm 23. It was amazing. He stepped off of the, uh, off of the po- behind the podium and stepped off the stage and after him came an old man. Now, the old man was wearing old shoes, tattered suit. He had a cane. He was old and weathered. You know, he wasn't manicured or pedicured. He didn't look so good. But he came up and he stood behind the podium and he recited the same psalm, Psalm 23. He did the exact same thing. 
But when he finished Psalm 23, not only did he get an applause, but he got a standing ovation. There were people in the crowd that were crying. I mean, the crowd went crazy, the whole place. And so when the competition was over, someone approached the young man and asked him. He said, hey, both of you recited Psalm 23, but you both got a different reaction from the crowd. What was the difference? The young man, he said immediately, he says, look, he said it was very evident. He said, I recited Psalm 23 because I know the psalm of the shepherd. But the old man knows the shepherd of the psalm. You see, he spent time with the shepherd. Amen. He has spent time with the shepherd. He knows the shepherd of the psalm. He says, but I only know the psalm of the shepherd. So my question to you this morning is, which one do you know? Do you know Psalm 23 as Psalm 23, or do you know the shepherd of the psalm? Because you have spent time with him. Just like when you go to the doctor, and the doctor says to you, take this medicine three times a day, seven days, and you'll feel better. Take this Z-Pack for a few days, and it'll get you back on your feet again. Well, I want to tell you today, I want to tell you that if you take Psalm 23, now listen, I hope you have something to write on today. If you take Psalm 23 seven times a day for seven days, it'll radically change your life. Today, we're living in a, in a time of uncertainty. We're living in a time where a lot of people are losing hope, a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of suicidal ideation. I mentioned to you last time I was here that the suicidal hotline has increased its calls by 700%. Stuff is happening. People are losing hope. But if you take Psalm 23 and you start to read it seven times a day throughout the day for seven days, I guarantee you're going to come back and say, Milton, you were right. It has radically changed my life. It will shift your mindset. You see, when Paul tells us about the renewing of the mind, which is my favorite verse, and that's what I use every single sermon, when he says, you know, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, when you came to Christ, you got a new heart, but you didn't get a new mind. You see, your mind is the same one, and it can be filled with stinking thinking. If you don't transform it, if you're not intentional about it, then you will just create the same outcome over time. And so what do you do? You take Psalm 23. You take Psalm 23 and you start to recite it seven times a day throughout the day. You put it on a note card. You put it in your pocket. Ladies, you put it in your purse. You pull it out. You recite it. You're standing in the line over at the bank. You're standing at the grocery store in the line. You recite it. You go over it, over and over and over until eventually it drops down into your heart. Because the gateway to the heart is the mind. You know this. The gateway to the heart is the mind. So if you're filling your mind with Psalm 23, eventually it'll drop down into your heart. And Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So then you will start to see a change in your verbiage. You will start to hear a change in your phraseology. You will no longer talk about calamity, but you will start to talk about hope. Because what is in the heart is what you will speak. If you want to know where someone is living, listen to what they're saying, because what they're saying will reveal where they are at. I'm telling you, if you start to take Psalm 23 seven times a day for seven days straight, it will change your life. The progression is very simple. As Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I want you to know that whatever you think becomes that thought, and that thought will determine how you feel. When you wake up in the morning, if you've got Psalm 23, you wake up first thing in the morning, you go, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
And when you're going through those rough times during the day, those tough times and you get bad news or something's happening, something's aching, or maybe you tested positive for COVID, and then you say, and though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no, for you are, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, now you have it inside of your heart. Now you start to say it. Not only has it become a word, now it becomes an emotion, a decision. And that decision will lead you to action. And that action repeated over time will form a habit. And that habit will lead you to your final destination in life. It's a decision. It's a decision. You just don't wake up and just go on with your day and expect to be hopeful. You will be hopeless unless you fill your heart with the word of God. Psalm 23 is a way of thinking. I say it's a mindset. You know, it was written by King David, David the giant slayer, David anointed by Samuel to become king when he was a teenager. He was scrawny, little, up in the hillside of of the Judean hills. And there he was, and he was anointed to be king, and it took years for him to take position as king. But he was the giant slayer, but David was also an adulterer. David was also a murderer. David was also a liar. In other words, he was a man like any other man anointed by God. He made his mistakes. He was good and he was bad. But he wrote Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 depicts the relationship between the father and the son, between the father and the children. And so theologians believe that David wrote Psalm 23 when he was going through his most trying times, when he was being persecuted by Saul. Other people think that he wrote Psalm 23 when he was shepherding sheep in the Judean hills. But a lot of other people concur with this thought that David must have been at the very final stages of his life. He died when he was 70 years old. And they think that he was at the final stages of his life when he wrote Psalm 23 because only someone who had spent all of his life walking alongside the shepherd could know him in such a way with such intimacy to write what he wrote. When you spend time with people, you become like them. One of my favorite uh, leadership coaches, uh, Jim Rohn, who's already passed away several years ago, he said, you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You become the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And right now you're thinking about your comadre and your compadre. You're like, oh, no. I don't want to be like them. The more time you spend in the Word, the more time you spend with God, the more that you will talk like Him, think like Him, act like Him. But you've got to spend time with Him. I mean, think about your earthly father. If you spent time with your dad, I spent a lot of time with my father. And so when people see me, they say, I know who your dad is because you look like him, sound like him, walk like him, talk like him. When they see my son, they know who his dad is because he walks like me, talks like me, thinks like me because he spent time with me. That's the relationship that David had with God. Now, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and know them, and I know them, and they follow me. He says, my sheep hear my voice. Now, how would you know the shepherd's voice if you don't spend time with him? He says, they hear my voice, and they know me. My father and I, many years ago, I was a, I was a child, and we were driving in Mexico along a mountain ridge. And up in one of the hills, we saw a man with, with at least... 100 to 150 sheep. He was shepherding sheep, and my father pulled over to the side, and he says, you see that man that's up there in the hills? He says, he and I went to elementary school together. 
And I said, no way, really? He says, yes. And we got out of the car and we walked upside the hillside and we were there and he went and said hi to him. But one thing that really caught my attention was that the shepherd stopped for a moment and he started to call every one of the sheep, all 150 of them by name, by name. He had a name for each one of the sheep. It was crazy. And they were funny names. They were ridiculous names, but they all had a name. And when they heard the shepherd's voice, guess what they did? Just like dogs, they came running to him. And they stood there. They didn't, they didn't heal or sit, but they stood there just waiting to see what the shepherd was going to say. How was it that they knew his voice? Well, because they spent time with him. They spent time with the shepherd. John 10, 14 says that he calls God the good shepherd. Hebrews 13, 20, they call God the great shepherd. And 1 Peter 5, 4 calls God the chief shepherd. Would you go to Psalm 23? If you could put it on the back screen, I would like to, for all of us to read it together on the count of three. And I think we have it there on the screen. If you have your Bible, on the count of three, let's read this together. One, two, three. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Psalm 23. You know, Psalm 23 is a psalm that is used in funerals. Ask me why? I have no clue. They use it in funerals a lot. But you know what? In this psalm, David, he's not stressed out. He's not freaking out. He's not fearful. It's not a plea. It's not a cry for help. He's not complaining. It's a declaration of faith. It's a declaration of faith. He doesn't walk around saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He wakes up every morning and he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's a declaration of faith. And that should be our declaration. Psalm 23 is powerful. And it's not powerful just because you memorize it. It's not powerful because of its words. It's powerful because of whom it speaks of. It's powerful because of God's power in us. That's why it's powerful. You know, in Psalm 23, we find the different names for God in Hebrew. We find it right there in Psalm 23 when he says, I shall not want. It speaks of a Jehovah Jireh, a God that is my provider. When he says he leads me by still waters, talks about Jehovah Shalom, my peace. Restores my soul, Jehovah Rapha, my healer. When he says paths of righteousness, Jehovah Sikinu, my justice. When he says you are with me, Jehovah Shama, the Lord is there. When he says in the presence of my enemies, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner. And then finally anoints my head, that's Jehovah M. Kadesh, the Lord that sanctifies me. All the names in Hebrew for God are right there in Psalm 23. It's just amazing if you really absorb it and you dive deep into it, and you will find God all over the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
Back, in, uh, back when World War II was happening and when the children were rescued from the concentration camps, they took these, these little boys and girls and they put them in a safe refuge. The, the, the U.S. military went in and they took them and they put them in a safe refuge. But what they found was that these little kids were not able to sleep. They were suffering from so much anxiety. They were so fearful. I mean, come on, they had gone through years of, of, of being mistreated. And so they were in this place already under the care of people who were actually caring for them and loving on them, but they couldn't sleep. Something was wrong. They had extreme anxiety, and they brought in doctors, pediatricians, psychologists, psychiatrists, and they just could not understand. But then one of the psychologists had this brilliant idea, and sometimes it's the simple things, a brilliant idea. He had the local baker bake one loaf, one baguette, one French loaf of bread per child. And what he did was when they went to bed, he gave each one of them a loaf of bread and they hugged the loaf of bread as they laid down and they fell asleep like that. It was a loaf of bread. Why were they anxious? Because they didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. They didn't know if there was going to be food to eat because they had gone for days starving. They had lost 50% of their body weight, of their mass. They were dying, and so they didn't know. They were anxious. So when they had that loaf of bread, they had the assurance that tomorrow there was going to be food. They knew that tomorrow there was the assurance of provision. And so it gave them a sense of hope. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. John 6, 35, he says, He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Matthew 6, 8, your father knows the things that you need before you ask him. Philippians 4.19, and he shall supply it for all of my needs according to his riches and glories in Christ Jesus. He is the bread of life. And when we go to bed thinking about the bread of life, kind of proverbially taking that loaf of bread under our arm and falling asleep as we're hugging onto the word of God, the anxiety seems to flee. The anxiety seems to go. It seems to dissipate. It seems to just disappear. And we're able to sleep. A lot of people are suffering from anxiety today because they don't know about tomorrow, not knowing that God says, I already have it worked out for you. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added. You only have to do one thing is to seek God and live righteously. Amen. I take care of the rest, he says. You don't have to worry. When I came to the U.S., I lived in Mexico my whole life, grew up over there, came to the U.S., I had a job that was paying me not enough to, 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 uh, to you know, be a provider for a family, but I was working for a Christian organization. It was a ministry, and they said, we're not going to pay you much, but the Lord shall supply. I was brand new in the Lord, and I thought the mo that was the most ridiculous thing anyone could ever tell me. The Lord shall supply. I was like, yeah, is he like going to come down with his mighty hand and he's like, here, here's another paycheck, you know? so that you can supplement. I said, that's not going to happen. And so let me tell you that I started going to church, and I might have shared this a while back. I started going to church, and the second, second week, the second Sunday that we started going to church, we had never been in a Christian church. It was the second time. And as we were walking out, my wife, my son, and I, we were walking out, and a man says, excuse me. He says, I don't know your name. I don't know who you are, but God directed me in your direction. I was going to my car. He says, God directed me to you. He says, here, take this. 
he says, God wanted me to bless you. And inside there was cash. And let me tell you that this happened over and over and over throughout the weeks. I said, God, keep speaking to these people. Come on. Keep telling them. Keep telling them and direct them my way. And that's how I supplemented was the people that came up to me with an envelope and said, God told me to give this to you. The Lord shall supply. And you know what that did to me? It increased my faith. You know what it did to me? It increased my hope. I was no longer hopeless. I was hopeful. So let me tell you about the sheep. The sheep don't fret. They don't worry. They don't lose their peace thinking about what they're going to eat or drink. They trust in the shepherd. As they say, look, as long as the other sheep tells the other one, say, hey, as long as we follow this guy right here, we're good. Just make sure to keep your eyes on the shepherd. It says, the verse says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Do you understand? I mean, I want you to pay attention to what it says. He makes me. He doesn't suggest, he doesn't tell me, would you like to lie down? He says he makes me. It's almost like forceful. He makes me lie down on green pastures. Sheep have four stomachs, and after grazing for, four, for several hours, they start at four in the morning in, 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 in the hillsides of the Judean hills in, in, in Palestine and Israel. They would go out at four in the morning, and they would start grazing. But at a certain time, because of their four stomachs and because of the digestion, because all the blood, and I won't get into all the biology here, but the blood would go down into, in the intestine to churn everything. The pastor, the shepherd, would make them lie down in green pastures so that way the digestive process could occur. So he would make them. They didn't want to. They didn't want to. But he would make them lie down. Do you know that God does that to us? Sometimes we're going too fast, too fast, too fast, too fast. And maybe our minds are focused on something that has nothing to do with God. And whether we want to make more money, add more to our 401k or build a business or build another business or do this or do that, travel. And God says, I'm going to make you lie down in green pastures. I'm going to make you lie down. Sometimes you go, Lord, this hurts. I'm going to make you lie down for your own good. You can't see what's happening right now in the natural, but in the spiritual, I can tell you something's happening. If you fast forward 10 years from now, you're going to thank me. You're going to thank me because I'm doing something. It's tough to get sheep to lie down because they're fearful. Once they know that the shepherd is there, then they're at peace, and he makes them lie down, and they rest. You know, God is like a traffic light. Sometimes it's green for go, sometimes yellow for slow down, sometimes red to make you lie down in green pastures. If you're not in sync with God, if you're on green and you're in sync and you're doing everything, but if you're not in sync or if you're starting to lose, if you're starting to lose vision, he will put, it, put the light on yellow it's like, whoa, 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 slow down, recalibrate, recalibrate, go back, go back, go back to your first love, recalibrate. I know you got a stimulus check and you feel that you can own the world, but you can't. You think that's going to salvage your life? It's not. <laughs> he says, recalibrate, otherwise I'm going to turn it to red and I'm going to make you lie down on green pastures. You know, let me tell you. God does not send affliction your way, but he allows affliction to come your way because he knows that in the process he can grow you, mature you, help you grow in your faith. And sometimes we don't understand it. Most of the time we don't, but he's doing something. The next verse says, he leads me beside still waters. You see, why does he lead sheep beside still waters? Because sheep are fearful. They can't swim. They have short legs, big bodies, very heavy wool. If they get wet, they'll drown. So they're very fearful, so the shepherd knows their weaknesses. The shepherd doesn't kick them into the water. The shepherd doesn't bully them or coax them into the water. The shepherd knows his sheep. 
And if he, if he sees that the waters aren't still, if they're turbulent, what he does is he will take stones and he will build a reservoir and have water for them to come and drink peacefully from. Do you remember the story of Jesus at the well with the Samaritan woman? And Jesus is asking for a drink. Do you remember that? And she says, I, I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew. I, I, can't, I can't give you any water. And then Jesus, after you know, the conversation, he says, drink of this water and you will never thirst again. Those are the still waters. Jesus is that water. He is the bread of life. God understands our limitations. God knows our weaknesses. He doesn't bully us. He empowers us and he equips us. That's what he does. God is not interested so much in our circumstances. Sometimes we're just complaining. God saying, God, you don't know. Ha, what do you mean you don't know? Yeah, you know, he's, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. <laughs> he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. God, you don't know. Yes, he does know. He, he knows. He knows everything about you. But he's not interested in your circumstances. He's only interested in using your circumstances to your benefit. Oh, Lord, this hurts. Yeah, it hurts. It hurts. But in the long run, you're going to grow in him. Amen? The next verse says, he restores my soul. How many of you are shepherds of sheep? <laughs> Nobody, right? Of course. Of course. You know, if I go to Mexico and I preach this message up in the hillside, I'll have a bunch of people raise their hand. Well, not here, of course. If you were a shepherd of sheep, you would know what the cast down sheep stands for. Do you know what a cast sheep is? A cast sheep is a sheep that ends up with its legs up in the air. This is a cast sheep or a cast down sheep. You can look them up on, on YouTube and watch videos. When it loses its balance and its belly is full, it ends up with its feet up in the air like a turtle. And it can't get back up. It cannot get back up, period. It can't. And so it needs a shepherd. If the shepherd is not there, it will die in the blazing, scorching sun. And if it doesn't die in the sun, the gas that's in the four chambers of its stomach will start, to, will start to poison the body, killing the sheep. And so when the verse says, he restores my soul, the shepherd goes over and he grabs it, pulls it back up again, up on its feet, and massages its feet because they're numb. He restores the sheep's energy back, its strength back. He restores its soul and gets it back on its feet. That's how God operates. Sometimes we're cast down. David said that his soul was cast down. He said, my soul is cast down. We find David in, in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, I believe it is. When he has arrived to a place, he came from a place of victory to a place of defeat. He defeated the Philistine army with his men, his hundreds of men, and they come back to the wives and children at a temporary campsite called Ziklag. And they're victorious. They've defeated. But then they come to celebrate, but what they find is that the women and the children are gone, that the campsite has been leveled, obliterated, burnt down. Because at the midnight hour, the Amalekites came and they took the children and the women and the possessions. While they were gaining victory, they had defeat over on the other side. And so David is there. And David and his men, the Bible says, cried until they had no more tears to cry. It says David cried until he could cry no longer. And then the men that were with David, that worshipped David, loved David, followed David, praised David, were now talking about stoning David. They blamed him for their, their situation. And so David is sitting there 
listening to this, and he walks away, and he isolates himself away from the crowd, from all of the words, all of the murmuring that's going on in the background, and the Bible says something about David that is powerful. It says, and David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. His wife wasn't there. His kids weren't there. Nobody was there to pat him on the back and to say, attaboy, you can do this. The Bible says, and David encouraged himself in the Lord his God, and in him he found strength. In him he found strength. God restored his soul. Amen? He encouraged himself in the Lord your God. Have you ever been in a point in time when nobody's there to encourage you? Come on. Have you been there? I've been there. Have you been there where nobody's there to encourage you, but you encourage yourself and God strengthens you? If you've never done it before, try it. Try it. Start to encourage yourself with God's word and see how he restores your soul. The next verse says, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Sheep don't have a GPS. They lack a sense of direction. The sheep that are left unattended, they end up wandering around in circles because sheep are like that. They're, they're creatures of habit. They're creatures of habit. They, they'll walk around in circles, grazing, going around in circles until there's nothing to graze, and they end up stepping on their own waist, and they go around in circles. But the Bible says he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Without a shepherd, the sheep end up in the thorny bushes and become food for the lions. The next verse says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I want you to understand that every one of us has been through a dark valley, the valley of the shadow of death. How many of you would say amen? amen. If you don't, then you're lying. We'll pray for you later. But every one of us has been through a dark valley. Every one of us. But it says, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. You probably heard this before. There are 365 fear nots in the Bible. Fear not. 365 times. So one for every day if you're a fearful person. You can write it down on a note card and rehearse it every day. But he says, your rod and your staff, they come for me. A rod is a stick. The staff is another stick with a curvature at the top. That's, uh, that's where we get candy canes from. The candy cane is a staff. With the red and the white that represents the blood of Christ and the washing of the sin, the white. That's the staff. It's a curvature. What, what do they use this for? If a, if a sheep is going off of a ledge, off of a cliff, the shepherd will take it and put it around its neck and pull it back to give it direction, to redirect it. That's what the staff is for. Okay? The rod is to fight off other animals that are trying to eat the sheep. And so as long as the sheep see that the shepherd has a rod and a staff. They know that they are safe from predators and safe from falling off of a cliff because, by the way, sheep had very bad vision. And so he needs to have this. Now, what does that represent in our lives? What is the rod represent in our lives? God's word. What does Ephesians say about the uh, armor of God? To be fully clothed in the armor of God says that we are to have the sword of the, the spirit, which is the... Come on, the Word of God. That is our only offensive, is it offensive? Yes, offensive part of the armor. That's the only thing that we can use to attack. When Jesus was in the desert, the enemy said, the devil said to him, you know, turn that stone into bread, you're hungry, Jesus. And Jesus said, 
It is written, Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He said, it is written, those are the most powerful words, and then what comes after that, it is written, that's your rod. That's your rod. The rod is the word of God. Every time the enemy comes, every time you're in a situation, the rod, that's the word of God. And what is the staff? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will nudge you, will make you have a sense of conviction in your heart. You're going the wrong way. It's like he puts that thing around your neck and pulls you back. And you can force yourself out of it, or you can allow yourself to be guided by it. That's your rod, and that's your staff. And he says, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's the next verse. The shepherd prepares the field before taking the sheep out to the hills. He goes and he clears the way. He clears the thorns, the thorny bushes. He cleans everything and he, and he, and he maps out the area where they're going to go and graze. David recalls when he's writing this, I can only imagine that David recalls this whole scenario when he goes before Goliath, the giant of Gath, and he goes to the valley. And when he's only a shepherd boy and Saul is too timid, too afraid to confront Goliath, the giant, who was nine feet tall, and he was too timid to confront him and nobody in the army wanted to, not even David's brothers, and he just happens to show up. David shows up to bring cheese and bread to his brothers. He just shows up. And David says when he watches what's going on and he sees on the other side of the, of the valley, he sees Goliath taunting the armies of Israel. He's cursing God. David says, and he's a kid, he says, is there not a cause? He looks at Saul and he says, is there, is there not a cause? I mean, is someone going to confront this guy? They said, no, he's too big. He says, I'll do it. And you know the story. It's a Sunday school story for kids. True story. What did God do? God prepared. He prepared the way. So when he goes before his, his nemesis, when he goes before Goliath, what does he say? He says, you come to me with spears and javelins and all these, you know, fancy, fancy armor. He says, but I, be, I come before you in the name of the gods of Israel, the one that you have taunted and defiled. He says, I don't come alone. God has already prepared the way, and all it took was one stone to take him down. One stone. God prepared the way. Let me say it again. God prepared the way. Amen? God prepared the way. Whatever you're going through today, God is preparing the way. Psalm 139 says, you search me, Lord, and you know me. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Psalm 147.3 says, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And I want to go to, you anoint my head with oil. You anoint my head with oil. That's the next one. You anoint my head with oil. If you know shepherds, what shepherds do is they prepare a concoction made out of olive oil and medicinal herbs. And at the end of the day, when the sheep come in, when they're bringing the sheep in, the shepherd will get down on one knee and he will take them by the head and he will make sure that they have no wounds because as they're grazing, they will hit themselves in the sharp rocks or thorny bushes. And if they have any cuts or wounds that are unattended, they will get infected and eventually kill the animal. And so the shepherd has 
a balm with, with, with oil and medicinal herbs that they will rub on the shepherds, on the sheep's head. He anoints their head with oil. Do you know that at the end of the day, God does that for us too? And that's why I read right now, you search me, Lord, you know me. Search, God, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That's who God is. That's what he does for us. At the end of the day, when you're feeling brokenhearted, when you're feeling wounded, he says, I'm right here. I'm going to anoint your head with oil. I know your anxious thoughts. I'm going to bring peace into your heart. God knows you. God knows everything about you. And you know, at the very end, we see that David says, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. David, I mean, David was messed up in his life. You remember when, when, when uh, I mean, he lost a, a son. One of his sons killed another one of his sons. One of his sons raped his, his daughter. One of his sons rebelled against him and ended up dead. I mean, David, David was messed up. He was the anointed king. He was chosen by God. He's the only man in the Bible that God calls a man after his own heart. When, when, David, when David is chosen by God, God says to Samuel, I have chosen for myself a king. He says, Israel chose Saul, but I have chosen David. He said, I've chosen for you guys a king, a man after my own heart. And what well, he was a man, he was anointed and he made mistakes. But, but David, despite all of his mistakes, he has this, this declaration of true reliance and dependence on God, on the Father. It's not a conditional statement. David wakes up every morning, I assume, and he says, and he would say, surely, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And at the very end, he says, and in the house of the Lord, ha, in the house of the Lord, I will dwell forever. That is confidence. That is trust. Jesus said, in my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. I asked someone the other day, I said, if you die today, what, was, what would your final destination be? And the individual said, the grave. It broke my heart. To hear that someone did not have the hope of eternity, of eternal life. When you wake up every day knowing that you have a hope of eternity and a promise to be with God forever and that he is your shepherd, things change. Psalm 23, seven times a day for seven days will radically transform your life. Let me ask you a question as I, as I close. Just I close with a question. I'm not going to close with five points. Just a question. Do you know the psalm of the shepherd? Or do you know the shepherd of the psalm? I hope today's episode filled your heart, elevated your hope, and was food for your soul. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Repeat that seven times a day as you would take any kind of medication and watch it transform your life over a short period of time. The more you repeat it, it goes from your mind, it sinks into your heart, and it brings transformation. Please take a few minutes to rate this podcast. Would you give us a five-star rating, please? And leave some positive feedback. This helps other people find this podcast. 
and it will bless them as well. You guys have a great rest of the day. I will see you soon with the next episode. God bless you. Take care. May his face shine upon you and may he give you peace. Love you. Love you. Love you in Christ. Goodbye.